Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, it's good to see everyone here this morning, and uh, the day after Christmas, and uh, we're just glad to see everyone here this morning, and uh, just be in prayer for those that, uh, for one reason or another, are not able to be here this morning, and uh, any any announcements this morning? I don't have, we don't have any bulletins this morning, but anything that... Uh, uh, we need to make an announcement on this morning that I'm not aware of. Do you feel lonely up there? Do I? You mean because, yeah, I know. Well, I, I'll come down, I'll come, I'll, I'll come up there, and, and you I can just turn around. <laughs> now, I know how that is. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, isn't it good to be in the Lord's house today, huh? Amen. So I pray and hope that everyone had a, a wonderful Christmas day yesterday with friends and family, etc. And uh, and we will uh, continue to uh, continue to praise the Lord and uh, today. Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. And we look outside and it's a little dreary and, and the snow is coming down. But we thank you for the seasons. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for the, the snow and we thank you for the rain and the sunshine and the warmth and for your goodness to us and for providing for us. And we thank you for this Christmas season as we celebrated Christmas yesterday. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, for our salvation, that we might be saved. We pray this morning that you would watch over our service. We think of those that might not be able to be here today. We pray that you would uh, encourage them and, and build them up and that we might be able to see them soon. We pray that everything that we do this morning would be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading is found this morning in Psalm 8. If you would like to turn and follow along with me. Psalm 8. <coughs> Excuse me. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, 
all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, in that, we can take comfort in knowing that irregardless of what is going on in our lives or the lives of others, that, uh, that the Lord is watching over us, each one. Let's uh, open with a, oh, we opened with prayer already. All right, there we go. All right. Then let's turn in our hymn book to number 273, Good Christian Men Rejoice. And let's stand and sing all three verses of 273. Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. Oxen as before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye hear of endless bliss, joy, joy. Jesus Christ was born for this. He hath opened heaven's door and man is blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this, Christ was born for this. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave, peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save, calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting all. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. You may be seated. And uh, would the men come forward for the morning offering, please? And if you have any prayer requests, you can put those in the uh, offering plate as it goes by. God from whom all blessings 
blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Brian, would you pray, please? Amen. And if you would remain standing, please. And turn to number seven in the green book in front of you. Number seven. Father's hand to 
Church. Wonderful to see you all today. I'll take a moment now to come before the Lord in prayer. All right, let's let's go to the Lord together in prayer. To you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. Our God, in you we trust. And we pray with the psalmist who said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, because everything that is in the heavens above and in the earth below is yours. This is your world, Lord, and we belong to you, our mighty maker and our good creator. And so we come to you this morning, Father, with thanksgiving and with praise. We also come, Father, with contrite hearts, knowing that we've, we've sinned, we've wandered and strayed from you in various ways, like lost sheep. We follow too much the devices and the desires of our own hearts. We haven't done the things we ought to have done and, and we've left undone things we ought to have done. And so we ask, Lord, this morning that you would restore us, that you'd forgive us our sins according to the great promises that you've given to us in Jesus. And so we take a moment now to silently confess our sins unto you, God. We thank you, Father, for the unblushing promises of Scripture which tell us that for those who confess, who come into the light, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know and believe all this because Jesus told us, and you don't lie. And so it's our joy and our relief to trust you, Father, and your Son, Jesus, for everything in our Christian life for our forgiveness, our justification by grace, our adoption into your family, our ongoing sanctification, and even our eternal home with you, Lord. We entrust it all to you, and we thank you for all you've given us in Jesus. We ask that you'd, that you'd help us to live a godly and a righteous life while we sojourn here in this, on this earth, Lord, while we long for our heavenly home. We ask finally, Lord, that you'd be at work among us, that you would be building this church for your glory, and that even this morning you would be at work among us by your Spirit. We know, Lord, that um, um, unless the Lord builds this house, those who build it labor in vain. 
unless the Lord watches over the city. Those who lay awake, they lay awake in vain. And so, Lord, we, um, we, we pray that you would be at work among us by your spirit and by your living word, that you'd be doing work in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final song before the message <clears throat> is uh, 571. If you'd like to turn there, and we will be singing uh, verses 1, 3, and 5 of Trust and Obey. Let's stand and sing 571 verses 1, 3, and 5 of Trust and Obey. Mm. Amen. gifts under the tree yesterday for Miranda was an espresso machine, so if I'm a little jittery this morning, you know why. The text for this morning will be found in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 35. We're finishing up our, our brief Christmas series through the first couple of chapters of Luke. Um, I figured we wouldn't want to move on too quickly the day after Christmas, so we'll, we'll wrap up our series with another celebration of the birth of Christ, and we'll be on to talking about the church next week, God's design for the church. Luke 2, 
beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we understand that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and that your spirit is alive and among us, working We ask, Father, that through your word, you would speak to us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. This Christmas season is all about celebration, right? Celebration that Jesus has come and that he's, he's the Savior. He's come with salvation. And the passage this morning is, we find Simeon, in the temple, praising God, and praising God for the coming of the Savior, the coming of Jesus. But Simeon says more about Jesus than just about his salvation. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. That Simeon also points out that Jesus was coming with judgment, and that Jesus was coming to reveal what's inside the hearts of men and women. That these two things are tied together. Jesus came to save and also to to reveal what's in the hearts of men and women. So we'll start with the the praise for salvation. Simeon's an interesting fellow. We don't know a lot about his background. We don't know whose child he was. We don't know um, what family he was a part of. We don't even know exactly how old he was in this passage. What we know is what Lucas told us that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And we're told that this Simeon was righteous and devout. He'd he'd spent his life in serving God. He, He sought to obey God and to study his word. And we're told also that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I take this to mean that he was waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for the Savior. The Savior who was promised throughout the Old Testament who would come and who would console his people. 
who would console Israel in their, um, in their difficulty and who would redeem them out of their hardship and forgive their sins and bring them into the, the, the glorious reign of the kingdom of God when God would restore his people and restore, in fact, the whole cosmos, the heavens and the earth, right? So this is that hope, the hope of a Messiah that we've been talking about the last few months. That's what Simeon's hoping for, the consolation of Israel through the Savior. And we're told also that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon was a special man in his time. In the Old Covenant, the, the blessing of the Spirit in this measure was not common. Not everyone was filled with the Spirit like Simeon was, but he had this special blessing of the Spirit, and we're told that according to the Spirit, it was revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So already Simeon was anxious to see the Messiah, anxious for the people to be saved. And then the Holy Spirit revealed to him somehow in a dream or a vision or something that that he actually was going to see the Christ in his own lifetime, that before he died, he would see the Christ. And I kind of like to imagine Simeon, kind of like a sailor in the, the crow's nest of an old sailing ship, headed home, looking out in the distance, squinting his eyes, trying to see the shape of land in the distance, trying to look out for home, right? And Simeon squinting off in the distance, trying to see when will Christ come? When will the Messiah come? And we're not told how long he'd been waiting. Um, it's interesting to think that maybe he was old. Maybe it had been 20, 30 years since God had promised. Maybe it had just been a matter of months. We're not told. But what we know is that at least for some time, Simeon's been squinting off into the distance looking, when will the Savior come? When will the Savior come? And then Mary and Joseph and Jesus walk into the temple. Now, at this point, Jesus is, is approximately six weeks old. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were going to the temple to fulfill the, um, the, the typical sacrifices and cleansing ceremonies that they had to upon the birth of a child. There's a couple of things they're doing here. Um, any child born um, under the Mosaic law, both the child and the mother had to, be, um, had to give a sacrifice to be um, ritually purified at the temple. Um, and then there's also a, a stipulation under the Old Covenant law that the firstborn male was in a special way dedicated to the Lord. And so the, the firstborn male of any family had to be brought to the temple and a, another offering was given there at the temple. And so that's what Luke's referring to here in, in verses 22 through 24. He's just laying out the specifics of what Mary and Joseph were going to the temple to do. And so at some point during the day, Simeon walks in the temple and Mary and Joseph also go into the temple. It's a big place, a huge complex. Verse 27, he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. So at some point, Simeon approaches Mary and Joseph and asks to hold the baby. I don't know what Miranda and my reaction would have been when Nora was six weeks old. Some random stranger comes up and says, can I hold her? But Mary and Joseph say yes. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This Savior that Simeon had been longing for had finally come. He'd been squinting over the horizon. When will Messiah come? And, and here he was, his Savior in his arms. And somehow the Holy Spirit impressed upon him, this is the one you've been looking for. This is him, this, this baby, six-week-old, wrapped up in his mother's arms. This is your king. This is your Savior. And he rejoices. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Just those words lead me to think that Simeon was not a young man. That at this point he was ready to die. That he'd seen his Savior and he's like, all right, what's... That's it, man. That's what I've been living for this whole time. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I've seen my Savior. Now I, can, now I can rest in you in knowing that you have saved your people. Verses 31 and 32, Simeon celebrates the, the breadth of this salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon recognized this Savior didn't just come for the Jews. He didn't just come for Israel, that he'd come to bring revelation of God to the whole world. That through Jesus, God was actually going to be reaching out to save the whole world a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. We've been talking about this great Savior every week for the past month, so I won't belabor this, but I, want, I do want to lay it out again. It's like, what, what, what exactly did Jesus come to do? Who, what was this Savior coming to save us from? And this is what we talked about last week, right? That Jesus came to defeat our two great enemies, sin and death, which are are related, right? That we've sinned against our God. That we've walked away from him ever since Adam and Eve. We've actually cut ourselves off from the creator and the author of life. And in doing so, we actually choose death by definition. It's like you cut a flower off. It's going to die. It's been cut off from life. And the Apostle Paul relates these things in Romans. He says, the wages of sin is death. It's, the, it's actually the just and the righteous punishment due to us because of our sin because we've we've sinned against an infinitely holy god and the promise of christ is that that god didn't abandon us in that state that in love he sent a savior that jesus on the cross as he died bore our sin in our place that he bore our iniquities that he died in the place of those who believe in him and that he rose again on the third day for our life. So that if we believe in him, we can be forgiven, reconciled to God, and saved from death forever. You can see why Simeon was rejoicing. Right? It's like, the great, the great Savior has finally come. This is the dragon slayer who will defeat death and sin forever. In verse 33, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. At this point, they've heard a lot of people talk about their son, right? From the angels announcing his birth beforehand, who said, this kid's gonna be special, he's the Messiah, right? And then all the way up through, right? Elizabeth speaking to Mary, 
Most blessed are you among women, Mary. This kid is special. The angels speaking to the shepherds in the fields and then the the shepherds coming and relaying it to Mary and Joseph right at Jesus' birth. This kid is special. He's the king. Angels sent us. Mary herself singing her her song, the Magnificat, right? We've looked at all of these things, rejoicing in the, the coming of the Savior. And now finally, it's Simeon in the temple. And again, Mary and Joseph are, I imagine, shaking their heads, thinking, who on earth is this kid? And Simeon blessed them. Bless you, Mary. Bless you, Joseph. And said to Mary, his mother, and here's where the conversation turns. Right? Up till now, it's been kind of a public celebration. God has sent a savior. Right? And now, now things turn. And, and he turns specifically and individually to Mary. And I imagine he lowered his voice a little bit. Behold, this, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's a lot going on here. It's kind of an enigmatic statement, sort of, sort of hard to understand. But in the, light, in the light of all that Jesus was going to do, right, we know how the story goes. We know what Jesus did in his ministry. I think we can understand these words. Simeon says three main things here. First, he says that this child's going to be responsible for the rise and fall of many within Israel. Okay? Second, Simeon says Jesus is going to be a sign that is opposed that reveals the hearts of many. Okay, so rise and fall, revealed hearts, and thirdly, and this is in sort of a parenthesis put right in the middle of the statement, that Mary's own heart would be pierced through as with a sword. There's three statements. The first two are closely related together, okay? Rise and fall and reveal, okay? That Jesus is going to be responsible for the rise and fall of many in Israel, and he's going to reveal the hearts of many. What does this mean? I think we see these things played out in Jesus' ministry. That as Jesus, later on through his life, is speaking to people, as he's healing people, as he's teaching, as he's preaching... You see people's hearts revealed, and you see him lifting up some people and bringing down some people in judgment. Okay? So let's just take a case study of the Pharisees. Okay? So with the Pharisees, they come in contact with Jesus, and over and over again, what happens? What gets revealed about them? That they're self-exalting, they're hypocrites, they've got this, like, religious veneer They like to look religious and holy and spiritual, but underneath it's all rot, right? Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs, which is quite the insult. It's like, your hearts are literally just like rotting corpses in there. You're dead to God. You look alive, right? And so he actually reveals what's actually inside of them. And this is what Jesus does on, on every occasion in his ministry as you read the Gospels. Whatever's inside of the people he comes in contact with comes out. Jesus is like a litmus test. A litmus test is where you take this litmus powder, and I'm not a chemist, I don't know how this works, but you take this litmus powder and you put it in, in a liquid, 
and it turns either red or blue. And if it turns red, you know that the liquid is acidic, and if it turns blue, that means it's alkaline. And so a litmus powder reveals what's inside. And Jesus is like this litmus test, that when people come in contact with Jesus, whatever's inside them comes out. Jesus reveals people's hearts. When he comes in contact with the Pharisees, what's inside comes out. They're revealed for the, the religious hypocrites that they are. Right? And Jesus, well, there's a whole chapter in the Gospels of his, his judgment, his condemnation. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are under the judgment of God. He tears them down from their positions of power. But think of what he reveals in the hearts of the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners who come to him, right? Now, when they come to him, their sin is also revealed, right? No one comes to Jesus without sin being revealed. Right? The litmus test always shows sin. But with the tax collectors, with the sinners, with the prostitutes, very often, the litmus test also showed humility and need and faith that these people were willing to actually own up to it. Right? They were willing to say, yeah, I'm a sinner. That's obvious. Could you help me? Like, yeah, I'm falling apart. I've got leprosy. Could you help me? Right? And coming to Christ actually in faith, acknowledging, Jesus, I know I'm falling apart. I, I almost don't even need you to tell me that. I need help, and I think you can help me. Right? And that's, that's faith. And those people who, who would have been lowly in the eyes of the world, what happens to them? They're lifted up. So in the ministry of Jesus, the proud are torn down and the, and the humble are lifted up. And this is the, the sort of judgment that, that Jesus, Israel's Savior, was bringing upon Israel. Right? That's what Simeon says. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. That the, the high and the mighty, the hypocrites, were going to be torn down. And that the lowly and the needy who actually had faith in God were going to be lifted up. It's kind of a climactic scene in John 8 with Jesus and the Pharisees. And, and they're at the point where they're, they're kind of at each other's throats. And, and the Jews are saying, well, we're, God is our father. Abraham is our father. And you may remember what Jesus said says to them, he says, if God were your father, you would know me. You would listen to me. Because Jesus is God in the flesh, right? He's this litmus test. You say you know God, what have you done with Jesus? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. If you've rejected Jesus, you've rejected God. And that's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You're not children of God. You're children of, of Satan, actually. Whether or not you think of it in those terms. You're, you're anti-God because you're anti-me, Jesus says. He's this litmus test. What you do with Jesus says something about yourself, what's in you, and what your attitude is towards God. Now, the primary focus of, of this prophecy is, is Israel. Right? Simeon's saying, Jesus is going to bring this judgment, this revelation, upon God's people. Um, but this sort of heart-revealing work didn't end here for Jesus, right? Now, Jesus did bring a kind of judgment upon Israel that, that sort of lasts today, right? Unbelieving Jews have rejected 
their God. Right? Those who've rejected their Messiah have rejected their God, and they're, they're under a judgment for a time. And there's, there's a promise of an eventual reconciliation. Paul talks about this in Romans. Um, but that unbelieving Israel is under judgment because of Christ. That believing Israel has been blessed by their Messiah, right? They've received their Messiah. But Jesus didn't come just for Israel, right? We've already talked about this. Simeon has already talked about this. That Jesus came not just to save Israel, but to save the whole world. And so the heart-revealing work of Jesus extends even now by his Spirit over the whole world. So that even on a, on a morning like today, when we're coming before the Word of God, gathered together in the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, that, that God himself is searching our hearts. And that we're actually coming in contact with the risen Jesus who reigns in heaven. Right? And, and I, th- I think you'll find, if you make it a habit of being around the Word of God, being around the people of God, you keep bumping up against Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the inescapable thing. And if you start hanging around Jesus enough, your heart starts to get revealed. Things start to get pulled out. It's like, it's like the incision for heart surgery starts to get made, and you're like, what on earth is going on? And there's two reactions that we can have to this. The reaction of the Pharisees or the reaction of the sinners. The Pharisees began to feel Jesus putting his finger on their problem, and they were like, oh, no thanks. I don't want any of this. Whatever is going on here, I don't want it. I've got parts of my heart I'd rather not have excised, so stay away from me, Jesus. Right? In doing so, they were saying, stay away from me, God. I don't actually want real spirituality. Or like the, the sinners, when Jesus came and he put his finger on their problem, they were like, yeah, I got issues. Like, come on in. Help me. Save me. I need something. Something's got to give, right? And that's the attitude of the Christian. And it's not because we're anything special. It's because God has actually softened our hearts to Christ by his spirit. So my prayer for us this morning is that, is that God will have softened our hearts, that God would soften your heart this morning, not to, not to run away. That's the natural thing, right? The natural thing is to say, I don't want any of this because there's some, there's some closets deep in the home of my life that I don't want anyone in ever. It's like just terrified. But the fact is God already sees it. He already knows it all. Jesus is the revealer of hearts. He's already done the x-ray, right? It's a matter of, are we going to deal with the tumor? My prayer is that we'd, we'd be open to Jesus' work. This, this judgment, right, which Jesus is doing in this revelation, some being raised, some being torn down, all of this is just a kind of a foretaste, a picture of the final judgment. That when Christ returns, there will be a, a sort of ultimate sorting out of things. All of us will get the x-ray and be shown sinners. That's it's not a question. It's the way it is. All of us have fallen short. But on that day, some of us will have found ourselves under the protective cover of Christ. 
of his death and of his resurrection by faith in him. And others of us will have rejected that. We'll have gotten the x-ray and said, no, I don't want a doctor, thanks. I'll figure this out on my own. And, and my prayer is that, that all of us will, will have find, found ourselves under the protective cover of Christ. That even today we would cry out to him and say, Lord, I, I, like, come on in, I'm a mess, but help me. Forgive me by the blood of the cross. Bring me into your family and, and maybe you could help me a little bit. That's what Jesus loves to hear. There's a final note that uh, Simeon leaves Mary and Joseph with, speaking to Mary very specifically, where he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, there's a prick of pain coming. I think he's referring here to the cross. Um, certainly, Mary, Mary would have suffered quite a lot because of Jesus' ministry. Probably suffered some, some, some shame in being a societal outcast because Jesus is like the enemy of the religious establishment. But all of that culminated, of course, in the death of Christ, where Mary looked on for six long hours as Jesus' body was torn apart. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. But it was that piercing pain, it was that sword through Mary's soul that has won for us forgiveness and life and peace with God. It was the, it was the pain of the cross that's, that's given us life. It, it might be tempting to separate Simeon's two sayings, the one about salvation and the one about judgment, and to say, one's happy and one's sad. Right, one's one we can rejoice in and the other one's like kind of dour. There's, there's a sort of truth to that. But it's actually in the pain of the cross. It's actually in the, the painful process sometimes of, of our hearts being laid open before the Lord that the Lord can bring healing, right? From what I've been told, heart surgery is quite painful, right? There's, there's a lot going on there. It's a lot of recovery time, but it brings great healing. Right? And it's in, the, it's in the pain of being opened up that Christ can begin to heal us. It's in the pain of the cross that Christ actually brought us life. Jesus came to bring both salvation and judgment and revelation upon his people and upon the whole world. And my, my prayer is that, is that we would greet that salvation with the joy that Simeon did. That we too would, would look upon Christ and say, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. If I were to die today, all right with me. I've seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Would that we too would look upon Christ and see in him our salvation. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for, for sending him into the world. We thank you for the way that you've 
seen fit to work on our hearts across the years. How gracious you've been to us despite our own failings, our own inadequacies, our own stubbornness, um, our own hardness of heart. You're so gracious. And time and time again, we come back to you and you welcome us with the, the loving arms of a father. And all because of Christ. We thank you for his death and for his resurrection. We pray, Lord, that, that you would open up our hearts, that you would not make us resistant to the spirit of Christ, but, but willing, open, ready to fling open the door of our lives to you to come in and, and do the sometimes painful but always, always redemptive work of sanctification in our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final song is 527, and uh, so many of the uh, older hymns have so much meaning there. So as we sing the first and the last verses of 527, I'd like for us to sing them and really uh, ponder uh, the words because there's uh, some uh, beautiful words here. So 527, let's stand and sing, I know whom I have believed, and we'll sing the first and the last verses. Jesus Christ our Lord, 